Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. Today, we are meeting with Mark O'Farrell. After receiving a master's degree in vocational horticulture from Virginia Tech, Mark taught agriculture at the high school level and served as an agricultural extension agent for North Carolina State and University of Nevada, Reno for approximately 10 years. For 15 years, he grew organic produce for Whole Foods Market and local chefs in the Reno Tahoe area. He started growing hemp under a research and development permit in 2018. Due to, challenging, due to challenges in marketing biomass, he started experimenting with ultrasound extraction and developing a unique line of CBD products. Mark. I remember before the 2018 Farm Bill passed, I was speaking in Toastmasters and I was talking about hemp and there was always a stigma around it. How did you feel when you put that first seed in the ground? You know, it's funny because it, it's, it's almost like it was a clandestine weed operation. <laughs> uh, in fact, we were visited by the entire state drug enforcement team the, the first, first season that we grew. Five plainclothes deputies showed up, and luck, luckily they had already backgrounded me and, and found out. And when I asked them about, I asked if one of the neighbors had called. They said, more like all of the neighbors. <laughs> you know, it, it was fun, uh, but it was just sort of a, a guessing game as far as trying to figure out what varieties to grow, how to grow it. You know, we... we um, I, I had an inkling that the smokable bud smokable flower market might be good, but it was just kind of wide open. You know, we, we had to do it under a research and development permit. So, um, uh, uh, ironically we had, we had started, I started researching it and thinking that we would process fiber, you know, as we talked yeah. about before, Absolutely. you know, we had worked with composting up, you know, composting operation and did a lot of material handling. And so, I did all my research based on trying to process fiber, thinking, you know, if everybody else is processing CBD, there's going to be a lot of waste out there. And then it turned out, you know, I found out like most other people that CBD is what still continues to kind of drive the, the hemp industry. And so we started doing CBD, but it, it was really a somewhat of a shot in the dark, just, uh, you know, or a, a leap of faith because there just wasn't a whole lot of information out there on what to grow, how to grow it. And so, uh, took a lot of cues from the weed industry and said, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. it, you basically grow it like you grow, um, marijuana, you know, other cannabis. And so that's how we started. Cool. Were you able to grow anything for, for biomass that first year? Uh, you mean for fiber or for just fiber? For yeah. No, but we do have someone now, we have mushroom growers that are buying our fiber to as a mushroom substrate. Mm. But no, part of the problem is because of the, uh, you know, especially after the farm bill passed, you know, there was, it was sort of like a, a tsunami of venture capital flooding into the industry. And unfortunately, almost none of that is going toward fiber or any it. Any of the things, you know, you hear all this hype about hemp and, you know, how great it is environmentally and how much, you know, biomass and, and how much fiber you can produce per acre compared to almost any other kind of fiber, you know, especially compared to, you know, forestry and growing trees for 
fiber, but uh, there just still is no infrastructure. In fact, we've looked into trying to push the, you know, fabrics and fibers, you know, uh, with, we, we work with a retail outlet up in Reno, but one of the challenges is you just can't find any even finished fiber that's, that's produced in the U.S. So, you know, even the tarps and things that you can find that are made from hemp, almost all of them are imported from China or India or somewhere else, but we're, we're still working on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. We'd really like to do that. And I'm working with some other growers in, in the area and we're looking at trying to bump up the, you know, at least do some fiber production and see if we can, you know, work on building a little bit of infrastructure, if, if nothing else to handle all the waste from both the hemp and the cannabis industry. Yeah. Because right now, if you think about it, you know, the whole cannabis industry is growing for THC, but all of their fibers basically has to go to the landfill as hazardous waste. And it's like, oh, wow. it's kind of, a, kind of a shame for all of that good fiber to actually be landfilled as hazardous waste when really it's a, it's a renewable resource. Yeah, we could be using that. Yeah, for a lot of things. I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to start growing hemp? You know, it's funny because we had just finished building a big greenhouse project and I turned that over to my son and I was kind of looking for, had thought about going back into teaching or, you know, just just trying to decide, sort of making a little bit of a career adjustment. And I started seeing a lot of articles on the cannabis industry and uh, and that led to just, you know, seeing some you know, some articles and posts about hemp. And, um, I, the boys and I out at, out at the greenhouse, we actually installed a biomass boiler that's designed as a 3 million BTU biomass boiler designed to burn hemp biomass. So that greenhouse actually out there can be fueled by, uh, pelletized mm. hemp fiber. And so we were, I, I was kind of kicking that back and forth and we had talked about getting into it when we were over in Dayton, but uh, we're just so busy with the produce and you know that whole business that we didn't really experiment with him. But then once you know, once I came back over here to our home place and uh, you know had smaller acreage, I just decided it would be the you know sort of a perfect opportunity. And back then, again, it, it's kind of like uh, you know BC and AD. I I think eventually. Our entire calendar will be based on the 2018 farm bill. You know? <laughs> Everything will be post or pre 2018 farm bill as far right. as hemp goes. You know, I mean, it just completely changed things. But getting in before that on the research and development side, it looked really promising because hemp has so much potential. I thought, you know, how how could we go wrong? You know, st- switching over and and you know trying to start you know help develop the the hemp industry, you know, especially before it was completely legal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we learned that you're using rye as a cover crop. Yes. Can you share that with us? How that works? Sure. And how that helps your plants? Sure. Well, it helps the soil in a lot of ways. You know, for one thing, as you saw when we were out in the field, over the winter, you can leave the soil, uh, you know, bare or, you know, fallow. Um, but the, what the rye does is it, 
it it's very cold hardy so it continues to grow very slowly or at least gets established over the winter and the first thing it does is it traps any excess nitrogen or fertilizers that you used on the crop before it, it takes those up and utilizes them and holds them in place in the soil instead of getting washed through um, it, it protects the soil against uh, you know, wind and, and erosion from the, from the rain. Um, all, basically all the moisture, almost all the moisture, maybe 95% of the moisture we get here in the desert comes in the winter in the form of snow. Um, but anyway, the, the rye is very cold hardy and then in the spring it starts growing and it gets very lush and green. And what we do is we cover the entire field with rye and so we have a nice green lush, just looks like pasture or whatever. And then we go in and strip crop it. So the strips that we're going to plant the rye in, we go in and till those strips. And so we get all that, the agricultural term is green manure, but we all that nice fresh green grass gets tilled into the soil, feeds all the microbes and the worms, and really brings the soil in those strips to life. At the same time, it the, the rye starts growing, and by May, the rye is two to three feet high and so when we till out the strips that the, the the remaining rye strips act as a windbreak and so when you go out into the field and when you go into the strips um, you know we put the seedlings in and the seedlings basically have a two to three foot tall windbreak and as you know, the wind, whether it's summer, winter, I, I, I tell people we have two seasons here, cold wind and hot wind. Yeah. And, yeah. The rye helps with both. You know, when you're putting out small seedlings, keeping them from getting battered by the wind, whether it's, whether it's hot or cold, it really makes a difference. And then once by early June, the rye is like four to five feet tall. And so when we till out the strips, it's funny this year I had neighbors asking, uh, you know, if I wasn't growing hemp, it's like, I, I don't see, it doesn't look like you're growing anything this year. And I told him, yeah, it's out there. We planted it already, but you couldn't see it because we till the strips so that from the road and stuff, when you look up, it still just looks like a big rye field. But in between, we have those little plants nestled in between the windrows and, and it it just provides a, an ideal microclimate for the, for the seedlings because the soil gets warmed up, you know, the sun still gets to the soil, but no you know, it, it's really a protective um, mechanism at that point. And then once we come in, once once the plants, this year we let the plants get all the way up to where they were about five feet tall, like the rye, and we go in and till down the rye strips. And people think it's some kind of miracle all of a sudden. <laughs> four to five feet tall plants, plants out there Just... in the field. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You said something about pharaoh. What is that? Oh, exactly? Fallow. Fallow. Yeah. That's just where you leave a, a, a field and don't grow anything on it and, and let, you know, basically let the soil rest and, you know, let the microbes and the, you know, whatever vegetation take over. But using a cover crop like rye, that sort of speeds up the, mm -hmm. the whole biological process. So instead of just having nothing on the soil and then going in and having to add fertilizer, have, tilling down that nice, fresh, green cover crop, it's kind of, kind of like, you know, feeding the soil a big... Uh, you know, salad in the spring, yeah, and yeah. you know, it, 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 energy, nutrients, everything gets recycled back in from the rye crop. So it's just a, you know, an ideal boost for the soil to to put the seedlings into. Awesome. Have you done any testing to see how, you know, the quality of that um, the hemp that you're growing is better because of? I mean, 
I would imagine it is because, you know, with better soil health, you're going to have better plants. But I was just curious if you had... No, we don't believe in science and testing and stuff like that. <laughs> We're beyond all that. Come on. I know, right? Testing? No. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to, to quantify that. You mm-hmm. know, um, since you brought up testing, yeah. you know, one of the most expensive inputs we have is testing, mm-hmm. you know, just for the crop. W- what I do know is, you know, just having grown different specialty crops here for you know, almost 20 years now, uh, you, you see a big difference and, and we just, we're able to use a lot less fertilizer. I mean, all of our fertilizers are organic, but really the, the thing that you can observe that, that happens is after you till that cover crop in, I mean, if we go, we go out there, you can pick up a handful of soil and you can smell it. You can feel it. You can just see that, you know, the, the, the increased texture. Like if you walk from the uh, one of the borders of the field and pick up uh, a handful of soil. It's basically this is decomposed granite, you know, mm-hmm. the mountains, yeah. from yeah. the mountains, and and so it's just a really loose sandy soil. But you go out into the areas where we've been cover cropping and rotating for years, and it's just you know the soil has texture and structure, and um, you know you just see a lot of biological activity. And the other thing that it really helps with is uh, you know uh, predatory insects. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, provides uh, habitat and an alternative food source for insects. And so when you go out there, we can just go out anywhere and sample a, you know, small area and it's, there are ladybugs and just, you know, all kinds of beneficial insects that, that live in those, um, in the windrows. Awesome. Now, do you, are you seeing many bees around the hemp plants? Uh, no, you know what? We, we've been careful you know, we, we have this issue with pollination and the bees don't really seem to be that attracted to the hemp. They're sort of like, a, I don't know, they're interested. You know, uh, last year we had a lot of buckwheat and stuff for a cover crop and we do some sunflowers and stuff just to have, a, you know, alternative pollen sources for the bees or mainly for the other beneficial insects. We do see bees coming in, but they don't seem to work the flowers. They just, you know, they will land on them. But one of the... Um, drawbacks to that is I'm afraid that some of our seed in the, you know, we're trying to grow all female flowers and uh, keep them from getting pollinated. And I'm thinking that it could be partly the bees and the other insects that are just foraging around could be bringing in pollen and spreading it around. But um, we, we haven't seen bees being a major factor, like as far as making the, the crop more productive like it does in other crops, you know. Okay. Now you had mentioned, you know, testing is a big input for you guys. Can you just briefly explain how the testing process works and especially for here here in Nevada for you? Sure. Well that's you know that's one of the, <laughs> that's a sore subject. I'm sure it is. <laughs> well it's it's only a sore subject on the side of the you know both the federal regulations and the state taking this approach that they're going to use 0.3 percent THC to determine what's hemp and really I, I think they should be using a ratio uh, for instance because they know that that, that 0.3 whoever pulled that out of wherever it came from and they've stuck to it it, it creates a huge log jam in all the areas of production you know right now they're um, 
you know, they're, they're trying to work out the situation where they know when you, con if you grow a hemp crop and you start to process it, well, as soon as you extract and concentrate it, the concentrate is above 0.3% THC and they've major lawsuits in Oregon and places over this testing thing because, you know, law enforcement comes in and tests the extract that you just took out of a perfectly legal hemp crop and it tests above 0.3 and, you know, they had an issue where they, you know, actually charged uh, this uh, farm up in Oregon with, with illegal, selling illegal, illegal cannabis. And, and uh, but anyway, the, the, so the testing is sort of two phases. In order to legally be industrial hemp, the state actually comes out and takes their own samples. They take them back to the lab, and if it's below point, if it tests below 0.3% THC, it's legal. But that's with an acknowledgement. The state recommends that you test early, and why do they recommend that? Because they know that at any point, 24 hours later, or for sure a week later, that very crop that they tested and, and determined and, and give you a certification that it's legally hemp and not marijuana, the THC starts to go up and 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 so but but it goes up in a in a very defined ratio with the CBD. So and and you know when you're trying to grow CBD, if, if you harvest the hemp when it's at exactly or it's way below 0.3%, it's probably very low in CBD. Like if you had looked at hundreds of COAs when we're purchasing seed, and they usually send you two COAs, certificates of mm -hmm. analysis. One shows that it was compliant and it was below 0.3% THC, but those tests almost always show that it's only eight or 9% CBD. You see people selling smokable flour and selling these, these varieties that they say hit 16, 18% CBD. You'll never see a COA with 16 to 18% CBD where it's not hot, meaning mm -hmm. it's, it's not yeah. above 0.3. So you kind of have, that's the testing issue that's I think is going to be tied up in litigation probably for years, you know, because they've taken this set 0.3% and said that that's going to be the determining factor. Um, but, you know, to give you an idea, the, the, the stuff that tests at, say, 17% CBD it's not like the THC goes way off the charts and all of a sudden it's going to get you high because there's a lot of THC in it. The ratio stays essentially the same. It's like a 30, you know, from 25 to 35 to one ratio. And so this, but even if the THC creeps up to 0.38, all of a sudden now it's illegal <laughs> marijuana. And even in states like Nevada where marijuana or cannabis is legal, you know, we have to burn and or destroy the crop. And it it's just, crazy. yeah, it's kind of crazy. But then the, the other part of the testing is that makes it expensive is we can't sell anything without a test. Anybody that buys any of our stuff, whether it's biomass, smokable flour or whatever, they want a lab COA, you know, proving that the CBD, you know, is what you say it is. And, and basically anybody that's selling biomass, whether it's to a processor or anyone else, the purchase price is determined by the percent of CBD. So everybody's trying to push their CBD as high as they can, but there's sort of this un, you know, this, you know, uh, an acknowledgement that, yeah, probably if it's that high in CBD, it's technically it's going to be hot. Mm -hmm. And uh, another issue with that is that most places the process that if they're taking out the THC, they use this, now they use a decarboxylation formula. 
because most of it will test zero in the zero, uh, you know, or LOQ on THC, which means there's no THC detected at all. However, now they've gone to testing for THCA, which is the precursor. It's you know, um, yeah, and basically you have to decarb it in order to get THC that would get you high. But they use this formula they call potential THC, and they're insisting that that THCA, if it's at point three, they 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 have a multi, they multiply it like the THCA times 0.88 or 0.87 to determine what the potential THC is. And my opinion is, how can you call it potential THC if it never becomes THC? And so so they're using this saying, well, if somebody smoked it or you decarboxylate it, that THCA is potentially THC. And it's like, yeah, but what about the situation where you don't decarboxylate it or you send it to a lab and they do, whether it's distillation, CO2 extraction or whatever, that THCA never gets decarboxylated or it's completely isolated out. And so, you know, you're using a potential, you know, the term potential THCA when, you know, depending on how it's processed, there is no potential. So anyway, and then lastly, you know, the, the testing thing where it really hits us is when we're selling any other product, any product we sell, whether it's our topical oil, tincture, whatever form of hemp product we sell, it also has to test below 0.3%. And so, I mean, we would have to test anyway, like, uh, you know, we test for microbials, heavy metals and all that. And being a small batch processor like we are, that can get mm-hmm. pretty pricey because a full panel costs anywhere from, you know, four fifty to five hundred and fifty dollars for one test to do the entire panel of tests. And is that on one strain of plant? Yeah, well that that's just on any batch we do. On any batch. See okay. we we test every strain of plant. So we have we pay for the state to come out and test it and then we take samples and we test our own hemp just to get an idea of where it is. But then every time we make a batch of oil, that has to be tested. And we could get we could get into a lot of other problems with the regulation as yeah. far as, you know, how they're regulating CBD. But essentially, we have to test and, and put the batch number on every product we make. And so, you know, if we make a batch that's only a few liters, you know, we're, we're bumping up the cost of that couple yeah. of liters by $500. So it adds, you know up to a, a few dollars per unit just mm-hmm. for the testing. Yeah. Um, and I might as well say it since we're on the topic, you know, in Nevada, they wrote uh, uh, in the Nevada revised statute or, or the administrative code, I forget which, but um, at the beginning of this year, they were supposed to be testing. The, the law was supposed to be that anybody who sold CBD in the state of Nevada had to have it tested in Nevada. Well, that's one of the things that they're not bothering to do. Whereas since we process it in Nevada, we're held to that standard. And so everything that we sell has to be tested, both for potency and, you know, for everything else. And we're up against competition from 50 other states with hundreds, if not thousands of other products that people buy. And, you know, I hear all the time hey, about this stuff. I don't, I don't know if it was any good or not. Yeah. And, and it, it sort of makes it difficult you know we can being both a grower and a handler we comply Mm with the letter of all of these you know laws and codes 
and the industry is just awash with people that can get away with you know selling anything they want and there's no you know the health department department of ag department of taxation no one in nevada takes any regulatory responsibility for any of the cbd coming into the state that's crazy wild wild hemp huh yeah yeah <laughs> and that ends the complaining section podcast. <laughs> Well, if I was in your position, I would probably complain a little too. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't do much good, but true, you true. know, but that's that's sort of industry wide. I think mm-hmm. it's an issue that everyone is dealing with in every state. You know, no, the feds put out this, you know, c- kind of created this wild west show by saying, okay, it's legal. You know, hemp is legal in fifty states. Now the states all have to determine how they're how they're going to interpret the farm bill and how they're going to interpret all these regulations. So you have fifty states all trying to figure out what level of compliance they're you know they're going to adhere to. And you know, the state of Nevada still hasn't actually gotten a two thousand eighteen approval. What happens with the, the Fed said that starting now, you know. Unless they, the state submits an approved plan to USDA, then they're still basically under the 2014 Farm Bill, which mm. you know was the whole R&D thing where it wasn't really legal. So now you have, I think there are only a handful, maybe 14 or 15 states that have actually submitted and, and have an approved plan under the 2018 Farm Bill. Nevada is one of the ones where they're still having meetings and still proposing what the regulations are going to be. And so, you know, they're making us comply with the 2018 Farm Bill, which has much stricter standards on the THC. Mm-hmm. But the state really hasn't complied yet with the federal regulations and gotten a plan approved. So we're kind of we're kind of operating in this gray area as far as the legality of the hemp. Yeah, definitely. At least we're able to operate, though. That's what's... That's that's fortunate. That's true. That's, that's true. Yeah, we wouldn't be having all this fun if it. No. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't be talking about. Yeah. Since you're talking about tomatoes right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, you talked about extraction. Can you share with us what how you're making your holy oil or your extraction process for that? Yeah, our holy oil uh, is a name I just came up with off the I top know. of my head. You know? <laughs> we started. Uh, we started uh, experimenting with taking flower material and trying to skip the step of doing an extraction and concentration in part because of the regulations where the extract, you know, we're not allowed to sell extract. We can take legal hemp, extract it, but we know that concentrating the CBD is going to make, is going to concentrate mm. the THC. So it's legal. So what we did is, is started experimenting with taking the flower and trying to somehow get it directly into oil and found that you can do that with ultrasound and so now we make an oil where we uh, basically take raw flower material and we've it's evolved a little and what we're trying to do is is work out the the dry sifting process and use a dry sifting process to to get make keef basically you familiar mm-hmm. with the term yeah. keef yeah. yeah yeah and keefing would allow us to to get higher concentrations one of the limiting things about the ultrasound is just with the volume of material using whole flowers and putting it into oil, you know, the, the ratio of solid material to the oil is too high and makes it less efficient. But uh, in any event, what happens is 
the ultrasound creates cavitation in the oil and we essentially blast the C break down the cell walls and blast the CBD and, and other you know phytocannabinoids or whatever terpenes and everything and we, we get a much cleaner natural form that's found in the flowers but the you know the sound waves essentially they, they not only um, infuse the oil I mean infuse the um, the compounds from the flower directly into the oil but they also break it down they micronize it they continue to sort of hammer away at the CBD and break it down into tiny nanoparticles so that it's much more bioavailable yeah. I think that's why we get so much good feedback on the oil because it's you know it's not only a pure clean truly full spectrum mm -hmm. uh, uh, product but it but it's also broken down to where you know, even topically, it, it, it'll absorb into your skin and your body. Can utilize it a lot, a lot faster. Awesome, I think. Yeah. Well, I've <laughs> used I've used your holy oil before. You have. I Would have. you like to share with us how wonderful it is? Well, I'll be honest. I <laughs> used it as chapstick, and my lips felt great. And because <laughs> I just got I just got some of the little sample ones that you had. And I really like, I mean, I liked them. I just haven't gone out and bought more. Just I haven't been to the co-op or anything. And I didn't realize you sold online until just recently. And he actually gets your smokable from the food co-op. Oh, really? And he likes the smokable. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. I don't know which strains, but yeah, cool. Just know whatever. Yeah. There. You know, it's funny when we started selling at the co-op, you know, everybody was a little bit apprehensive <laughs> about offering, especially with mm -hmm. co-op, you know, you know, with their focus on health. And for the at least the first several months that we had the smokable product, the pre-rolls in the co-op, it was the number one selling item in their health and wellness section. Wow. It, it really took off, you know, the employees and everybody else yeah. was smoking it. And some people, you know, I was apprehensive about even offering a smokable product. I didn't, you know, didn't really want to get into the cannabis industry for various reasons. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to encourage people to smoke if they don't, but we, mm -hmm. we certainly sell a lot of it retail because, you know, probably as you found, it's very relaxing and it's, you know, great nighttime, you know, uh, alternative to, yeah. to other things, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was really interesting to, to walk into a store, especially like a grocery store and you're like, well, is that a joint? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you should see the reaction at the farmer's market. We I always take big plants, you know, in flower to the farmer's market. You know, kind of smell the place up a little bit. But, yeah. Uh -huh. You know, there are a lot of people. It's it's hard to convince them that it's not cannabis, you know. Get a lot yeah. of tourists taking pictures and stuff because they just can't believe that we're there with these big flowering plants <laughs> and smokable product. But uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, so feel free to go on and on and on about how wonderful our products are. Well, I am going to go on your website and try out some more of your oils because okay. I want to try them. We'll, we'll just so. fill your trunk before you leave. Today. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, sounds we really good. do get a lot of feedback. I, I was surprised. I was even skeptical at first about the topical, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I, I could see how it would help, you know, superficially with, with aches and pains. But I tell you, we get so much feedback on it. Everything from, I had an, a, a nurse come to the market last week and say, she asked me about eczema and I said, well, you know, I've had a lot of people say that it helped, but I, I, I would, I, I'm not going to tell you. you know, I, I try to, I try to be upfront with people and let them know that I, 
I'm really not a physician. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can get in trouble with those yeah. areas, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, FDA doesn't even allow us to say it helps with anything. We, yeah. We, we, we thought about putting on our label, not good for anything, flush immediately down the drain. <laughs> I think that's about the only way we could really comply with FDA regulations. But uh, anyway, you know, the lady came back this past week and said that her son is at eczema for years and that he... You know, they were paying $400 for for a prescription topical and the whole oil, holy oil worked. And so, I mean, we just, it's been fun doing the farmer's markets because I yeah. just, I can't even list how many things that people have come back and said, I can't believe how much this stuff has helped. You know, people, you know, getting off prescription painkillers, getting off a lot of different prescription meds just from using CBD. And Mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to someday when, you know, we're not outside the law telling someone that, Hey, yeah, this will will probably help you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we use, we use CBD and it's helped my son and I a lot. It's just, I got that before I knew about yours. So that's why I want to get some of yours and try yours. But we did use that holy oil. He gets a eczema around his mouth and that Mm -hmm. helped with that too. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the first few people, you know, like I gave it to friends and, you know, we started selling it and I would follow up and say, Hey, did it help with the arthritis? And I had so many people say, you know, it did. It it really helps with pain, but I can't believe how much better I'm sleeping. And that's where I was a little skeptical. It's like, how could just rubbing something on your neck or rubbing it into your hands help you sleep? But uh, your skin's your largest organ system. Exactly. (laughs) And what we found from the testing and and from the extraction process is myrcene is one of the dominant um, terpenes in most of the hemp varieties. You know, and you you have different profiles. So there's yeah. caryophylline and all, all all different uh, some of the same terpenes you see in cannabis, but myrcene seems to be really dominant. And myrcene is a sedative, and we end up getting sometimes we'll get as high as one percent myrcene in some of our extractions. And I think that helps too. You know that, you know, kind of opens. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the terp. Your brain can sense those terpenes. You know, you smell it. it. It definitely connects immediately with your brain. So I'm thinking there could be, you know, some kind of a synergistic effect. You know, either prepping your body to utilize the CBD or whatever. But I think introducing those terpenes along with the CBD. It definitely helps with, you know, what they call the entourage effect or whatever. Yeah. 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 That's why you need the full spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been so interesting. I, I feel that every, all these people that I'm coming, coming into contact with have really got like a deep connection with the plant that we don't really realize. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I am convinced that if we were like almost every other organism on earth and we hadn't lost that intuition and that connection to our olfactory senses that, you know, like when you walk out into this field and there are four or five different varieties, they all have very distinctive terpene profiles. So they smell different. Some of them are sweet and smell fruity. You know, the Hawaiian haze has a sort of a tropical smell Mm -hmm. to it. You know, the space candy has this you know, it really yeah. does have sort of a candy type. We've we've had some that just smells exactly like bubble gum, you know, <laughs> and and everybody that smells it, it's like, what does it smell? It's, that's bubble gum, and and so and, and it's funny because there is a variety of bubble gum, but I'm sort of convinced that if if we were more in tune with our senses, you could probably go out into the field, walk through, and smell the different varieties, 
and sort of instinctively know which one was the right, yeah. you know, the the right, mm-hmm. right variety to, to really cure what ails you or to, uh-huh. you know, to to be the most effective. And that's why one of the things we're doing is is we're trying to do, as we talked about before, do our extraction pre-decarbing because mm-hmm. the heat from, from the decarboxylation process that most... Almost, it's almost universal. People decarb it first, and and you lose all that that critical terpene profile. So what we're going to try this year is actually, instead of just homogenizing everything, we're going to uh, pre-decarb extract the different varieties and try to assess, you know, and quantify what the difference in you know what the different terpene profile is in in you know the extraction from the different varieties because i think you know there could be some potential for you know it could be that it whether it's a tincture or a topical or whatever made from hawaiian haze may work for you whereas you know nicole uh, uh, you know space candy or or Mm -hmm. suva or something like that may be what your body responds to much better in part because of the you know the terpene and the Mm -hmm. complex profile that you're getting in the you know yeah. And the finished product. Yeah. And, and that's going back to being in touch with our bodies and that belief of being able to go out there and smell each plant and know exactly what it is that we need. Yeah. Yeah. Because we get feedback, you know, especially on the smokable stuff. A lot of people that smoke, they, they're they a little more attuned to, the, you know, that mm-hmm. terpene profile and how it tastes and stuff. And, you know, we have some people say, oh, yeah, the, the, the cherry blossom, man, that's the best nighttime. It's just really mellow. You know, I can take a puff of that and I go to sleep and sleep for eight hours. And other people will say, oh, man, it, you know, the Hawaiian haze is just, a, you know, it's yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, taste or, you know, personal preference. But, yeah. you know, it is working on your brain. So who knows? It could be making that connection and, and letting you know, hey, this is this is one of those terps that I need or, you know, this yeah, like is your endocannabinoid system, which, you know, which are you, which area are you deficient in, in your body compared to mine and how those different terpenes are going to affect that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wait for that day. We put our hand underneath the scanner and it does an endocannabinoid <laughs> assessment yeah. of our body and then spits out what we need. Yeah. <laughs> ah, see, then you're getting back into that <laughs> science thing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Get out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, that's one future. The other future is being in touch with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Mark, can you share with us one last thing? What's your vision for hemp is in the future? Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping my, my personal future in hemp as well as, I, you know, I'm just hoping that we realize the full potential of hemp. You know, really, we wouldn't be here if they couldn't make sales you know a few hundred years ago they were making sales out of hemp because hemp canvas was the only fiber that was durable enough to get across the atlantic you know i mean hemp has been used and has been an ideal fiber for a lot of things and now you're you know the potential for doing 3d uh, you know 3d printing uh, you know all those things uh you've probably covered in other podcasts that the original quarter panels for the Model T Ford were made from hemp. I, I mean, there's just so much potential to use it in so many ways, but um, it's going to take some serious investment on that side of the hemp industry. And so that's that's what I'm really hoping that, um, 
you know, I, I moved here from North Carolina, worked for NC State. You know, there were, at one time there were textile mills that basically drove the economy for the for you know those whole Middle Atlantic states. And now you know you have the textile industry has gone down like so many other industries. And I'm really hoping that hemp could help revive that and and actually enable us to have you know a local at least domestic supply of mm-hmm. of some of those some of those things yeah i was afraid that would happen <laughs> the dog <laughs> awesome well thank you mark for that that was awesome and if you're listening to mark and you've got loads of money to invest and you don't know where to put it the hemp industry is your place we appreciate our listeners for tuning into the hemp empowerment project where our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can change your life. Do not forget to check out Mark's website at sierranvhemp.com. Again, sierranvhemp.com. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know. Have a beautiful day.